in Revelation chapter 3, and I appreciate you being out this evening and being in the Lord's house in the midweek service. I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of the time in which we live. Uh, the time in which we live, and uh, I just finished up pretty intensive studies through the book of Isaiah, and uh, the Lord has me doing some different things on studies right now in addition to what we're doing as a church family and uh, some other personal studies I do. Um, Isaiah, I finished up this last week and uh, really felt compelled once I got down to about Isaiah 62 or so. I, I really felt compelled to uh, go into Revelation. And uh, I'm not sure where all that will mean uh, with, the, with the church here, but there are some things needing taught. It, uh, I see as a pastor that uh, our church body will be benefited by some understanding of in time what's coming, um, some prophecy that's coming, and uh, what the Lord's going to be doing. Uh, it's good that God's people have the right perspective of things from the Scripture so that we're not, not taken off guard by what's going on, and even more substantially, that you're not sucked in by it. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that will just pull you right in. And, uh, and so there's some things, as I'm just studying Revelation, I'm pretty amazed by it. But I want you to look, if you will, uh, just kind of introduction tonight, and I'm not per se kicking off a series. I want to talk to you about this thing, about the time in which we live. But I want you to look, if you will, in, uh, back in Revelation chapter 1. Forgive me, I'm going to get right into things and give you a, a lot of good for your soul tonight. Revelation chapter 1, and look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, in a lot of Bibles, above where the book starts, it'll say the revelation of St. John the Divine or something along that line. That's not scriptural text. That's put in between. That's not, that's not a more part of the scripture than what your footnotes are if you have a study Bible. And it's not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is both the revelation that He gives and it is a revelation of Himself. Now, this is important for understanding the time in which we live and the things that go with that. Um, I want you to notice, first of all, notice there's a, uh, there's a threefold testimony that John's given by God to give to the churches and we have it today. It's perfectly preserved in our King James Bible and we have it right here in front of us. Look in verse 2 of Revelation 1. And uh, the threefold, threefold uh, testimony, it says, who bear record of the Word of God. There's the first part. If you're ever going to understand anything about the Bible, you've got to understand it is the Word of God. When you treat it as just the Word of man, you only get man-level understanding. In fact, you'll go astray. You'll err greatly. Um, it's not a collection of the wisdom of the ages. It's not the pinnacle of philosophical interpretation. It's not the most immaculate of religious manuscripts. It's not the all-encompassing embodiment of the best of human virtues. It is the Word of God. And treating the Bible with that respect 
makes literally all the difference in how you respond to it. It also makes a difference whether it opens up to you or not. Your Bible opening to you in the manner in which your God knows you need it day by day is not a matter of your academic prowess, your capacity for understanding, your ability with literature. It goes back to believing God's Word and being willing to learn and to obey what you find. When you do that, your God will open to you step by step what you need in your life so you can go forward for God. So the first thing is the Word of God. When we come to Revelation, it's the Word of God, just as all the other Scriptures are. Um, Of course, I attended a liberal Bible college in every correct aspect of that Word uh, for the first year of my Bible college training. It seems kind of oxy. Moronic, <laughs> I don't know if that's the term of that word, but it fits. Um, it seems oxymoronic to, uh, to uh, call a place a Bible college when the first things that started happening when I went to the Bible classes was I was taught to doubt the Bible. Or they tried to teach me. I wasn't a very good student on that. And, uh, and they called it a Bible college while they undermine your faith in the, in the Word of God. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but when I was in this place, their theory on Revelation was that it's written in code so that John could sneak it out past the Roman guards. Now, as weird as that sounds to you, that was, a, that was one of those fad things going around in the, in the 80s and um, that a lot of the evangelical churches, as they called themselves, were embracing. And uh, no, it's the Word of God. God gave it in the language in which it's written. The second thing about that threefold testimony, looking at verse 2 again, it bear record of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'll come back to that in just a second. And of all things that he saw. So he was to correctly tell what he saw. There was an exception to that. And that's when he came to the seventh seal, he was not allowed to write what went on with that. His seventh trumpet, excuse me. He heard what the seventh trumpet said, and he's not allowed to record it and put it down. Isn't that amazing? God said, nope. It's kind of like when Paul's talking about the man caught up, whether he's heaven or on earth, whether he's in the body or out of the body, he said, I cannot tell. He said he heard things which were not lawful to write. So there's so much more that God has that we can't even take it in 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 the framework of our body like it is right now. It's like nobody can see the glory, glory of God, Him in His glory and live. That's why when God has appeared to man, He's always appeared in as the angel of the Lord, as the captain of the Lord of hosts, or, or as Jesus Christ in the flesh. It's always these things. Why? Because we can't, we can't handle seeing Him in His glorified state. And so what happens is, this thing I mentioned to you, the testimony of Jesus Christ, understanding that the testimony of Jesus Christ is crucial to understanding everything in Revelation. I've been really taking my time asking the Lord to show me. And, and your Bible, boy, catch this. If, if you miss anything else, catch this. Your Bible not only contains, the, it has the truth that God has for you, but it also has within itself how to learn that truth. The Bible will teach you how to learn itself if you will seek for it. And God will show it to you, I promise you, if you'll go after it. And by the way, young folks, we've got a lot of young people in our church. That's for you too. That's not just some role. You can, you can know the wisdom of God and should know the wisdom of God. What a wonderful thing to follow God from a child. May there be some many young people in our young folks who are like Samuel the prophet who in that early age heard, heard the voice of God on his life and obeyed God throughout his whole life 
And may that be your testimony. You could not have a better testimony at all. And so this thing is the testimony of Jesus Christ. You have it here in Revelation 1. Then look over in Revelation 12. I want to show you this also. And then we're going to be getting into where Brother Carpenter read just a few moments ago. Testimony of Jesus Christ is vital for our understanding of the Scripture. Revelation 12. And uh, seeing where I'm going with that, I need my directions here. Look, at, look in verse 17. And it says, The dragon, which is identified in the Bible, that's Satan. It's one of the names given for him. Um, and the dragon was wroth. It means he was so angry, he couldn't hardly stand himself. He was angry with the woman. And that woman there is Israel. But, um, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And in the context, what's going on there is when uh, all out onslaught onto Israel and God's people and, uh, and the dragon's trying to destroy them. He's always done that. You have that in your Bible uh, when you go in and, and uh, uh, in the book of Esther, you have something that was repeated in our uh, generations in 1939, Crystal Night, that the uh, Nazis did when they destroyed the shops of the Jewish people, drug them out, murdered them in the streets, uh, committed unspeakable atrocities to them, and it was endorsed, ignored, and even uh, helped to, helped to do it by the 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 authorities. As they did that, they called it Crystal Night or Crystal Nacht, as it's called in German. That's and what that is is from all the broken glass, and that was early on a horrible thing. It's exactly it's exactly what Haman in the book of Esther had set out a proclamation to do to the Jews then. Exactly the same thing, and it shows up again uh, in history. And of course, Jewish people have always been the target of persecution. And uh, that's not accidental. And here, the dragon is just trying to consume everything that has to do with that Jewish nation. Satan, is, he, he, he's still angry. The fact that God's plan is being fulfilled and that even though he had put out everything he could to destroy uh, the prophecies and destroy what was coming, Jesus Christ was still born of a virgin. He still lived a sinless life. He still died at exactly the right time and He still rose with power over the grave and death and hell. And nothing devil could do about it to stop it. Didn't matter. He, 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 he possessed Judas Iscariot. He whipped up the crowd into a frenzy to cry, crucify Him, give Him Barabbas. He, he, he brought satanic cunning into the minds of the Jewish leaders and the Roman governor. And they did everything they could do to shut that grave down and keep Him in the grave. But they couldn't do it. And they'll never, ever, ever be able to defeat Jesus Christ. I like that. I like being on the winning side. I'm telling you. That's good stuff. And so what happened, uh, these servants, they, uh, they keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to do that. Keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, in, our, in our country, we, that's not has been as big a struggle. But it's going to be. We may get a little bit of season of reprieve if God's people will ever get serious about actually having revival. So far, right now, that's not widespread. Like to have meetings, like to have crowds, like to have feeling good emotionally, like to have decisions, but real revival that changes living, that causes people to actually repent of sin, 
that puts families back together, that causes husbands to love their wives and wives to obey their husbands, that causes children to be in obedience to their parents and causes parents to love and take care of their children. There's not a lot of that kind of thing going on today. And there's going to have to be some of that or we won't even get a season of restraint. And so the testimony, let me show you one other thing about this testimony of Jesus Christ. Look over in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 10. Now, catch what it says here. I'm not making this thing up when I tell you that the understanding the testimony of Jesus Christ is key to understanding everything about this book of Revelation. Verse 10, And I fell at His feet to worship Him, and He said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we come to this book or understanding the things that are in this book of Revelation, everything is understood through the clarifying light of Jesus Christ Himself. And He who is truth will guide you into truth. The main thing of Revelation is not times, dates, or even events, although those things are important because they're included in the Word of God. The main thing about Jesus Christ or Revelation is Jesus Christ and how all these things relate to Him. Now, with that said, uh, this book in, uh, in uh, Revelation begins with an identification of Jesus. Look in Revelation 1 again here with it. I'll show you what I mean by that. In that first part in, in Revelation 1, you have Jesus Christ. He's called the faithful witness. He's revealed that way. He's revealed as the first begotten of the dead. He's revealed that way. He's... Uh, Revealed to be uh, uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. He's revealed that way. Um, he's, he's revealed, if you look and, and you just kind of glance over, you see it. You, he's revealed to be uh, uh, speaking to John. And in that, you see him in his glorified state, what his eyes are like, what his hair is like, what his feet are like in that glorified state. And, and he sees that. We see that he's in the midst of the candlesticks. And the Bible identifies them. You don't have to figure that one out. Candlesticks are the churches. Jesus is walking in the midst of them. And that's, what, that's where He's supposed to be. Candlestick does not emit light of itself. It is a vessel to hold a light up so it can be useful and be seen. That's exactly what a church, which is also called the pillar and ground of the truth, is supposed to be. And he's in there. And then he holds the angels of the churches, those messengers, which are to take the message to the churches. He, he holds them in his hand, and he's over the churches. And so he identifies himself. That's where you are in Revelation 1. Then you get into Revelation 2, and then into 3, where we are now. And immediately, as God's revealing Jesus Christ, he starts out with identifying who he is in, in Revelation 1. And then in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he deals with seven churches. They're called the seven churches of Asia. They were centered in Asia Minor. First time Paul came through there, and I've given you detail on that when I taught you through Acts. But when Paul came through that area, he was not allowed to stop and plant churches the first time. He wanted to. He essayed to go there. He wanted to go there. God wouldn't let him. He had to go to Mysia, which took him 
uh, from the eastern side of Asia Minor across there. He went clear across where he wanted to go over to the other side. And then he tried to go up into Bithynia. And he wasn't allowed to do any of that. Instead, God sent him around uh, uh, the Aegean Sea. And he went over there in Philippi. And of course, they had the convert. And the first convert in Philippi was a lady from Thyatira where one of the seven churches will end up. Isn't that amazing? God kind of knew what He was doing here. And then Paul, of course, went down to Corinth and then he ended up going back to Ephesus being the first of the churches in Asia and those seven churches were, were established. But what I want you to see, when God's revealing Himself and, and, and through Jesus Christ, He identifies Jesus and then immediately goes into the churches and the interaction of Jesus and those churches. You come down to where we are in our reading tonight, the last of the seven churches. What's the name of that church? We just read about it. It's the church of who? It's interesting the way it's written in chapter 3 because every one of the other six churches that you're dealing with, it says, uh, unto the church in Ephesus, unto the church in Smyrna, unto the church in Pergamos, unto the church in Sardis, unto the church in Thyatira, unto the church in Philadelphia, and then it says, unto the church of the Laodiceans. This is kind of interesting the way it's phrased different. There's something there. I haven't got it yet. <laughs> I'm working on it. There's something there. And so what happens is, you come down to Laodicea, which is, um, which is that last church, and then that's it as far as giving revelation through these churches. Now, I want you to understand some things with this. God is revealing Jesus Christ to and through those churches. And God is always doing that with every church in every age. He wants to reveal Himself to our church. And He wants to reveal Himself through our church. Both are vital. I'll give you a couple thoughts here. Each one of these churches named, that I just named out there in Revelation, were real churches. Just like Lighthouse Baptist Church is a real church. Uh, we assemble together. We assemble on Sunday morning. We assemble on Sunday night. We assemble on Wednesday night. A good crowd here this evening. And we have some other times, special meetings, where we assemble together. But many of you are literally a part of Lighthouse Baptist Church when you're out all over the town. Uh, at one time or another, we will have people that come here who represent five different counties. So you're far spread as far as things go. My wife said to me tonight as we had a bite of supper before I came in here, she, she said, uh, I wonder what it would be like if everybody who comes to our church at one time or another all showed up at the same time. Well, I happen to know kind of what that looks like numerically through Sunday school records. Um, people come on the bus, people I know who come in. And I said to her, I said, it would be crowded. Very crowded. Get everybody here at one time, it's very, very crowded. And uh, uh, there'll be some weeks, things fluctuate some, some weeks it'll be real crowded here in the sanctuary in the morning and the junior churches won't have quite as much. Sometimes those junior churches are about running over and you won't have quite as many in the sanctuary. And then every now and then, you, it, all, it all hits at once. And some weeks, it all goes away at once. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And when you look at this, you're realizing uh, that this is a church. And so these seven churches, including the Church of the Laodiceans, 
is a, was a real church that existed. I firmly believe, I am convinced, that it is also appropriate and right and in keeping with the way the Scripture is laid out that these churches also accurately portray different kinds of history in our churches. In what is sometimes, this is not, uh, not particularly a Bible phrase, but it is accurate in describing something. It's called the church age. Basically that point from which Paul made the statement under the Spirit of God when he said to the Jews, seeing you judge yourselves of unworthy of eternal life, I go to the Gentiles. Wasn't that God never dealt with the Jews again, but the main emphasis went to the Gentiles. To that point where we're taken out one day because of the trumpet, Christ calling us home, and then God turns that full attention back to Israel and you have 12,000 witnesses from each tribe of the 12 tribes. That's where your 144,000 come in that, that are speaking and preaching during the tribulation period. And so now we're in this time of the church age. And I believe it has these divisions. Now, here's the thing about it. I want you to notice a little phrase. Look there in Revelation 2 and 3, both. I want you to notice, I've got part of mine covered up. Let me uncover it for a second here. Look in 2 and uh, look in verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, saith unto whom? Churches, okay? Staying in 2 there. I'm trying not to tear my paper. Look in verse 11. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto whom? Churches. Verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse 29. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You get over to verse or, or chapter 3, and you have verse 6, you have the same thing. Verse 13, you have the same thing. And then at the very end of chapter 3, the last verse of chapter 3, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So, okay, preacher, what's your point with that? After every single one of the seven churches, that same statement word for word was made. Now, that teaches you something if you pay attention to it. It teaches you that the truths are given particularly for each, each church. Pergamos needed something particularly that was not as strong an emphasis as what Smyrna needed. Philadelphia was a different type of church than what Thyatira was, or Sardis, or Ephesus. Warnings were different, different indicators were different, but all of them needed some of what was there for all of them. The Spirit was saying it to the churches. So every church, every church has its strengths, its weaknesses. Every church has its areas of obedience and its areas where they may be either being chastised or on the verge of chastisement as they ignore the one they call their Lord. But every church needs all of it. And every church, every part of the church age needs all of it. There's not a division it's just there's an emphasis of one thing or another. Um, you preach in some churches, and you can tell they may need doctrine. You go to another church, and they may need B12 shot. Honestly, about dead as four o'clock. Um, go to another church, and you know 
They may need uh, missions. I, I, I'm thinking right now, I, I'm thinking of a church that I knew personally, knew the workings of the church. And this church, uh, a church at that time of about 250 that would give between one hundred thirty and $170,000 a year to missions. And it was collective. They were into it. They did it. They would do things above and beyond that. But yet, you couldn't get five people to go out soul winning in their own area. I'm thinking of another church that literally put hundreds of soul winners on the street and gave 60,000 a year to missions. You see, both those are out of, out, all, out of, all out of whack. Now, God wants us to be growing in a healthy way, in a right proportional way. So we're hearing what the, what the Spirit says to the churches. Then let me say to you here also, Jesus describes or introduces Himself differently to each church. I've taught you this, but it's a good review. Some of you are new enough that you've not learned it yet. Jesus describes or introduces Himself to each of the seven churches. But He describes Himself differently. And when you read the description Jesus gives of Himself and then what was going on with that church, you will find out that He is giving them exactly what they need to be healthy. He's describing them saying, this is what you need for Me. A voice to pay attention to that. It's amazing with that. Now, I said tonight's message is entitled The Time in Which We Live. I fully believe that we are in the time of Laodicea. I believe it's evidenced. And the earmarks of Laodicea is a complacent self-satisfaction. It's being satisfied with being respectable with no thought or little thought towards being spiritual. Um, it's trying to be a good guy or a good gal but not worried about being godly. It may be prosperous if you look at the accounting, the buildings, programs, outreach. But it's not powerful. It, it has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. Uh, folks who will get excited about every kind of sport, every kind of hobby, every kind of political thing, cannot get excited at all about the house of God, about the gospel going out, and about the work of God going forward. People will spend thousands and tens of thousands of dollars on their hobbies, their pets, their recreation here, and will flip a $5 bill once in a while towards missions and consider pat yourself on the back when they do it. Now, I've never, I do not believe it's the purpose of any biblical message to just go around bemoaning the ills of a situation. But sometimes there's good Bible precedent for this. You point out what you're talking about. And I believe we live in a time of Laodicea. Um, <laughs> boy, I can multiply illustrations. By the way, I want to say something I'm thankful for. 
by nature being a preacher, I talk to preachers some. And different folks, different localities, and not unusual. In the last several days, four different preachers, not a bunch, four different preachers in different states, and just quick contact on one, talking to one a little more. And I was at lunch with a couple of preachers some while back, traveled to, to, to have lunch with one fellow was uh, pretty strong about being happy about what the Lord was doing and who they were trying to reach. He was concentrating on we serve the Lord. The other fellow just seemed to be very uh, taken by the lack of faithfulness of God's people. The lack of faithfulness. Why nobody wants to do anything? Uh, I just, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of fellowship and time with somebody's going to do that. Not a preacher. Um, blame God's people. You, you follow God. Deal with realities. I mean, I'm not one of these, you know, smile at everything stuff. Yeah, that'll never work. But the one preacher kept asking another one of my friends, he says, don't you have people like this? Don't you have people who won't show up? Don't you have people like that? And the other preacher would say, yeah. And uh, he finally asked me, he says, Brother Manning, he says, what about you? I said, you know what? I said, uh, of course we do. So we're populated with people. I said, well, let me tell you what we have. I said, well, we've got a lot of people. Some of them very broken. Some of them very strong. Some of them very weak. Some of them in all kinds of conditions. I said, they don't have to be there. And they choose to be in the house of God. And there's something in them that's drawing them towards the Word of God. There's something in them that's wanting what God's got. There's something in them, there's at least a spark alive in there. And I think if we would just get the Bible to them, a whole lot of them might be able to grow. And why? I wouldn't like to say it. I feel it. You may feel it. And uh, sometimes it's about like jogging through mud, sometimes. <laughs> but what about it? I believe that's where we are, but God's, God's there too. Did you know that? Last time I checked when I was reading this, Jesus was actually talking to the church of the latest ends. Let me show you some things about this. Look how Jesus revealed Himself to this church. Look in verse 14. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, look how He describes Himself. What is the first way in which Jesus describes Himself to that church? What's He call Himself? Amen. Amen. Well, Laodicea, its nature, if you read it, is lukewarm. It's neither hot nor cold. And God literally said, you make me sick. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He said, it's terrible. He said, you're not hot. You're not cold. You're not up. You're not down. You're just... For years, I kept using the term dial tone. Then I realized those in their 20s and under don't know what I'm talking about. You've never heard one. So, I don't use that anymore. Okay? <laughs> they, uh, but it's just... Mm, mm, whatever. That's not how Jesus described Himself. He said, Laodicea, you need the amen. You know, every now and then I mention to you, and especially men, I say, amen is a good Bible word. Something you ought to train yourself to say. 
You know I don't do that for me. I never have. Some of you have known me a long time. Some of you have been here since I showed up at the beginning. I bring my own. I really don't have to have it. Honestly, I don't. I think one of the best things God ever did was have me six and a half years preaching in nursing homes. <laughs> you say, what did that prepare you for? You! Amen? Uh, it's really, honest. But it's, the truth of it is that God's church needs it. And you need it. You absolutely need to identify with the truth that God's giving. In other words, quit making church a spectator sport. Don't come take my pulpit from me, but you get the idea, right? But it goes deeper than just, just the amen. That's a fervent declaration of agreement with the truth. I think it's funny. Honestly, I, I know some folks, they never amen the truth in church. You can say, you know, thank God Jesus rose from the grave. They're not going to amen. They're just not. But they'll be talking to somebody and say, well, I ain't been that. Well, look, they did that. <laughs> it's a fervent declaration of agreement with truth. Zeal. An open participatory spirit. In other words, you want to be involved with it. I, I was interested. I was just studying that word and, and, and there was a writing about it. I thought it was awesome. I'll give it to you here as I found it. It says, amen may be one of the best known words in human speech. That's um, interesting. Hallelujah is a word that doesn't change in any language. And amen may be one of the best known words in human speech. It was transliterated directly. In other words, it came right across with no change from Hebrew into Greek and Greek into the languages, modern languages. And it is known throughout the world. It is almost identical to another word, imam, which amam and amen, the word amam means believe. It's a declaration, I believe that. Now here's what I thought was so cool. Used at the end of a statement or during a message, it is a response to show that the person has made the substance of what was said their own. When we say amen, it's even deeper, Brother Keith. I knew for years it's I agree with that. But it's deeper than that. It's I'm making that mine. Amen. You know, that's how we use it. I, I can name it. And I don't care if you say amen. I don't care if you're formal and you say amen. I don't care if you're southern and you say hi, bye. It doesn't matter to me. All right? You look a little goofy, but that's okay. Amen means I'm making that part of my substance. I'm making that substance of that part of me. When I hear the Bible taught, I want to be part of me. When I hear Christ lifted up, I want that to be part of me. When I hear truth coming on, it'll be part of me. Amen? Get as excited about it, young Mr. Wayne, as running the touchdown. That's not the same thing. Did you enjoy it when you made a touchdown? Amen. Do you think you could have made one even if you weren't playing the girls' team with it? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> because this guy won't give me a break. He turned on the jets and he was gone. That wasn't that fun. Now, look. Okay, I, I get it. I know the differences between it. By the way, y'all run down all dirt me and all that stuff. I'm not trying to hiking this kind of weird frenzy. What I'm telling you is that once you were locked in, you said to me that you all of a sudden realized you might be able to do this. There was an opening, a lane, and it's like, I'm going to go for it. What I want you to do is have in your heart, and I'm not asking your personalities to be something they're not. 
I'm just saying I want something in your heart that is birthed by God that says I want to identify with the truth of Jesus Christ. I want to be a person that identifies with that book, that Bible, wherever I'm going. And that's amen. Say amen with our living as well as our words. And that's, that is good stuff with that. And so he says, he's the amen. Let me show you something else then with him. It says uh, he identifies as the amen and then the faithful and true witness. Well, there's nothing that'll keep you, keep you going down the road like you should, like being a witness for Jesus Christ. And look for every opportunity. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Day by day and everything you're doing. Oh, I, can't, I cannot tell you how many opportunities there are if you are looking for them. And... Uh, Literally, the other day, I was, I was just going to grab me a bite of lunch, and my food was as cold as it could be by the time it was done. Why? Because there were three or four different opportunities right there with just people coming by. Somebody heard I was a pastor wanted to talk about something. There were opportunities, people who were open up for the gospel. People were hurting deeply about some things. God's got something for you. He's got people that you can help out there. And being a faithful witness, God helps you with that. I, I promise you, He'll do it. If you'll go after it, He'll do it. And then look at this. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I put down with that the origin. What did Laodicea need? Well, they needed amen. They needed the, to be a faithful and true witness because they weren't being. And they needed to understand the origin. He's the beginning of the creation of God. He's, he's the origin of all things. When you get in your mind learning to look at things for how did God make this and why did He make it? How did God reveal in His Word? How did He make it? What, what is God's design for marriage? What is God's design for the house? How did God make them male and female and only male and female? What is God's design for a local New Testament church? What is God's design for the office of pastor? What is God's design for you as a working person? What is God's design for you in your household uh, as you, you ladies? You get back to the origin and you find out why God made it and you learn to come in line with that and you'll find out things will function along the way they're supposed to be made because we're following what God's made for us to do. And so those are good things. Now, I want to give you this. Look in verse 18. Just a couple of things I want to show you there. Here's the problem that Laodicea had. And I'm talking about the time in which we live. Verse 18, is, or verse, excuse me, I told, I told you 18. Look in, uh, uh, that's not where I meant to take it. Verse, uh, verse 17. I moved you to the wrong place. Look in verse 17. It says, here he's talking to the Laodiceans. He says, because thou sayest. I don't know if you mark things in your Bible. I have that little phrase marked. Because thou sayest. So here's what the church said about their self. You stop the average person leaving the church of Laodiceans. Hey, I'm taking an interview today. Tell me about your church. Tell me what you people are like and all that. Here's the response. All right? Here's what they said. God says, here's what you're saying about yourself. Because thou sayest, I am rich. And increase with goods and have need of what? I'm good. I'm good. Translate that for you. Don't bother me with truth. I'm good. Don't, don't, don't even try to put me under conviction. I'm good. <laughs> do, do not interrupt my life. I'm good. That's what Laodicea said. 
I've heard that phrase a lot when I'm out witnessing. I'm good. <laughs> Ask one of the boys, are you sure? I just thought, are you sure? It was so funny. And I, not something I do all the time. And he goes, no. <laughs> I said, I thought that was good. I said, well, appreciate the honesty. Got to talk to him some there. But it just, you know, it just hit me funny. I'm like, you sure? <laughs> no, I'm really not. Um, he said, I'm good. Well, wait a minute. That first part, those first three words I told you I have underlined, because thou sayest, here's your opinion of you. I'm rich, graced with goods, and have need of nothing. And what are those next two words? Knowest not. You don't know what they are. You know it's not. Knowest not. He said, uh, there's some things you don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. He said, then look at this, that thou art. He said, here's what you say you are. And God's getting ready to say, but here's what you really are. Hey, lay it to sale. Here's what you say you are. But here's what you actually are. No, it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He said, you're in rough shape and you don't even know it with that. <laughs> what is this saying? Well, I put it down this way. Pay attention to and take care of the problem that God says you actually have. As a church, we've been reading the Bible this year. Each month, we have new reading. The Cardinals put together today, coming up September's reading. We'll be handing those out. And we'll be going through Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and then a number of Psalms. I think it's eight Psalms, I think, at the end. Yeah, at the end. And uh, I chose Psalms out that deal with God as our deliverer. And God's strong hand in delivering His people. So that's kind of a theme in the Psalms. They're throughout different Psalms. I think starting in the 30s, 31st or so, and then throughout, deal with some great Psalms. But as you're reading your Bibles, as we're reading them, taking time to go in the Word of God, it's going to show you some things. When the Bible is opened and biblical preaching is done, not just, not just frothing around, but biblical preaching is done, you're going to see some things. Sometimes you're going to see things about you that you don't like. And we need to be willing, myself and you, we need to be willing to accept what God says about us, not what our own opinion about us is. Because with... You see, God's the great physician. And He doesn't come along and put His finger on something and give you a, 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 and give you a diagnosis just to tell you, oh well, <laughs> you got a problem. When the great physician diagnoses you, what He's got in mind is curing you. And so when He puts His finger on something through His Word... He's drawing your attention to something so that you will draw your attention to that something so that you can know the freedom that you can have in Christ. Very gracious of Him the way He does it. But then, it's interesting. I wrote it down this way also. Lady Decines needed to let God tell them the reality of their condition instead of settling into the self-satisfied complacency of their own conclusions. In uh, the time in which we live, 
Laodicean church needs some help. Head on down towards the end. 19, we find that the Lord, driven by His love, rebukes and chastens us. Why? Because we're, we're heading down paths that wind in destruction. Um, he says our response to the rebuke and the chasing is to be zealous and repent. In other words, get it right and get it right right now. Don't keep lingering on it. Well, I've been trying to deal with this for years. Oh, get it right. Get it right. And then I love this. Look what happens. Verse 20. What an incredibly well-known passage. You've seen plenty of plaques. <laughs> You've heard people mention it. But verse 20 is talking to the Laodicean church. And Jesus is really outside of this church. It's kind of like in Ephesus, the first church he deals with. He tells them that they have left their first love. You remember that? And he tells them that if they don't repent of that, he's going to come and remove their candlestick. He will literally take away their heavenly authority to be a church. You know how he described himself to them? Behold, I am the one who walks in the midst of the candlesticks and have the stars in my right hand. He described himself as the one who's right in the midst of them. And he says, that's what I want to be. We want you here, God. We want you in our service. I tell you, we're organized. We come, and I unabashedly stole this phrase from Brother, from Brother Jenkins. I give him credit for it because he, he said it the way I... My, as soon as he said it, I'm like, yes! If I thought of how to talk like that, I'd have said it that way too. He said, we come to church hunting God. I love that phrase. I may not mean the same thing to you. That, that may just feel my ancestor. I'm not sure, but it's... But I, I want to be organized. I want to do things first class for the Lord. But I want to come looking for God in every service. It's never just a midweek service. It's never just a Sunday morning. Well, uh, you know, uh, it's funny. My barber will ask me. Uh, he said, well, you got anything special coming up? And I'm like, every day special. He's like, doing much today, preacher? No, I'm clergy. I work two days a week at that. But it's, it, he's like, well, what do you got going on special? And I understand why he's asking. I'm not smart enough with him. But I'm thinking, what do you mean? What do you mean? Oh yeah, we have conference, we have things coming up, and we have special days, and we have special guests coming in. But let me tell you something. On that down day, when the crowds are low, when the weather's not good, when it seems like everything normal is going on, that's a special day for the Lord. Because you know what we get to do? As God's people, we get to assemble together. We actually have the written Word of God. We get to talk about Jesus Christ. And I have enough strength and health to still be preaching His Word. That's a good day every day that happens. But at Laodicea, there was a problem. Jesus is outside the building. Look what he says in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door. He is wanting with anticipation to come in. Boy, if we get this out. We can't have to talk God into coming into things. He wants to be among us. Keeping Him out with your aloofness. You're keeping him out with your secret sin. Your fleshly walking. He wants in. 
He's at the door. You didn't come up to the door because you don't want in. You don't walk up to a door and you sure don't walk up to a door and knock on it if you're not interested in going in. Hey, I'm here. Let me in. I went in. I'm looking to get in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's talking to the church there. Our lay to see is just got problems, right? But look what he says even during that time. It's important for understanding the time in which we live. I stand at the door and knock. If, I love these next two words, any man, you ladies are in on that one too. You, you got that, right? If any man do what? What's the first thing you got to do? Hear my voice. You ever hear the voice of God? You do every time your Bible's open. And if any man hear my voice, but that's not all. You got to do something with hearing that voice. What do you got to do with that door? Jesus doesn't come up. You're in there. I hear you, Jesus. Boom, coming in. No. You open the door. You open the door. You open the door. I'll tell you what your life and what you it is, it's like what you allow it to be. But if that rankles you, rankle on, my brother, my sister, because it's the truth. Because through Jesus Christ, you have all things that pertain unto life and godliness. It is your divine heritage. Look at it. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice. It didn't say if all of you get together and the committee decides to do it. It doesn't say if everybody gets right and there's a general revival among the populace. He said any one of you that wants me to fellowship with you, open the door and I will come in. And look how personal it is. I will come in to him, to him, and will sup with him. And he with me, we're going to have a meal together. We're going to have fellowship together. Jesus is at the door and he's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking, he's knocking. And he's saying, which one of you is going to open the door so I can come in and we will fellowship? And he said, you know what? He said, when you do that, we will have personal revival. I'm going to tell you this. There's no doubt about it at all. The fact is that Christ wants to fellowship. He wants to have revival. He wants to have a personal working with his people. But you've got to open the door. You know what happens when you go through the whole service and just like this? Do you know what goes on when you wouldn't sing a word out of that songbook if, if, if we begged you to? Or worse yet, you're not checking time, you're checking text. By the time you get right. You'll be done in a minute. As soon as I get out of here, I'm going to talk to you. I won't fellowship with any of God's people. I'm going to go off into cyberland. Yeah, I'm... I'm following along on my Bible and the, my phone, which some people do. But I'll tell you what's dangerous about it, you need to set up where you don't. Other stuff jumps in on you. 
Can't you, can't you even give 45, 45 minutes to God? You're not really that important. Everybody's looking for you. And, and, and the dead giveaway, you're, <laughs> you're not going, God bless you, Holy Bible. You're flipping through looking at stuff. <laughs> you know, we now have book, not scrolls, right? You don't need scrolls here. <laughs> Come on. Hey, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. What's going on? Lady to see him. Why didn't God ever talk to me? Because you won't open the door. Because you won't even hear the voice. But anybody who wants to can. I told you a long time ago. God's taking me somewhere. He's growing me in Christ. I want to take you with me. I want to take you to a place of loving the Lord and following His Bible. But by God's grace, I want to keep following that. That's where I started when I was a teenage kid. I don't care if I'm a pastor or not. That's the main thing in life. And you all are welcome to go. It is an awesome trip. Anybody wants to, you can have fellowship with God. Everybody around you can be pressuring you not to follow God. But you can follow him if you will. And you know what happens? When you open that door up for the Lord, he says, All right, man, I got something to share with you. We're going to have a time. And you know what? You can have a time with the Lord wherever you are. I believe any individual, any church congregation that wants to have God's presence, you say, Oh, this is the to see you. Oh, this is the end time. Well, then let's get at it. Oh, by the way, in conclusion on this homily, that's the end of Revelation 3, right? Revelation 3 ends with, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Then look in chapter 4. You want to see what the next, next chapter is? You want to see what's coming next? Look in chapter 4. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a what? Speaking unto me. Look at it. Talking with me rather. Which said, come up hither. So help me rapture. They're gone. And you have the churches. And then you have the trumpet saying, come on. What do you say, Brother Keith? Come on up. Brother Hill. Man, I miss Brother Hill. The nerve of the guy to go home to the Lord. <laughs> he used to tell me, well, well, I either be taken by the undertaker or the upper taker. <laughs> the beautiful thing about being saved is even after the undertaker gets you, he can't keep you there. <laughs> it's time we live in Oh, there's so much wickedness, so much perversion. There is. And I'm not insensible to it. And it bothers me like it bothers you. It angers me at times like it angers some of you. It, uh, it can produce uh, despondency in me if I'm not careful, like it can with some of you. Because you just see so, how much it is. It's like trying to stand against a tidal wave. So well, how, do you keep, how do you keep your balance? How do you keep your spiritual equilibrium? I just go back to whose I am, where I'm going, what the Bible is. 
And you know, thank God, I know whom I have believed. It's that simple. There's a lot of questions I can't answer. I should have stopped when I was 18, 19 year old preacher. I had it all figured out then. And there's things I can't answer. There's things I don't understand. But there's a bedrock conviction in my soul that the Word of God is the truth of God. And we can trust Jesus Christ. You got that? What else you need? Amen. Let me pray with you tonight. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you again for the willingness to be out in midweek service and taking time to get here. All kinds of different things could have drawn their attention, but they chose to be in your house. And I pray you'll bless them for that. Thank you that you gave us your Bible. Thank you for your love towards us. Lord, may we be a people loving to you. God, I pray you work in the hearts of folks here. Some are fixing to just ruin themselves if they don't get right. But Lord, maybe I'm even talking to, can I be Lord, talking to somebody tonight that doesn't even know you? Heading towards hell in a gospel preaching church. Oh God, I pray that you'll work on their heart. And Lord, I pray you'll help us not to be willing participants in Laodicea. God, we don't want to be spewed out of your mouth. We don't want to go around bragging about it and how we've got it under control. And Lord, we, we, uh, we want to do what you counsel. We want to get truth and arraignment white. We want to get those things you have for us that you talked about there. God, I pray you'll help your people. And may tonight they love you. Do a work in their hearts, please, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Mrs. Webb begins to play a song invitation. Something you need to bring to the Lord. Maybe you just want to call.